The cartoonist Kate Fabe courtroom is back in session. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm the Honorable Jim Rugg. I think we're going to wrap up the Neil Gaiman de uh, deposition this week. But first, before we do that, what do you have on the stands, man? Join me on Patreon.com slash Jim Rugg where you can download a dozen of my out-of-print zines and mini-comics. You can see a bunch of my original art, scripts, layouts, the process that I make, the comics I make, like Street Angel and The Plain Janes. These are my two graphic novels that are currently in print and available at your local comic shop, at your local bookstore, maybe your library. Wherever you buy books, you can find these. And they're perfect for the holiday season, suitable for all age readers, uh, young adult readers in your life. This will round out your Christmas list perfectly. The uh, Red Room Antisocial Network uh, book collection is in stores right now. Things going fast. We are selling those things out. Every time there's a new video, man, like there are less and less copies uh, for us to sell to stores, man. So get your hands on that uh, as soon as you can. No idea when the reprints will be able to hit the stands again because this paper shortage uh, deal is a real issue that's really affecting comics. And uh, one of the comics affected is Red Room Trigger Warnings issue number one was supposed to come out in about two weeks from now and got pushed back six weeks to February 2022. This is the standard cover that you're gonna see when you just like pop it to the comic shop. I want this thing to sell the hell out on day one because stores, uh, the whole ordering uh, system got kind of screwed up because somebody opened up an attachment over there at Diamond and got a ransomware attack. So that cut things off for a minute. Uh, I think that this is going to be a scarce issue that people are going to like be, be going after. Uh, Peach Momoko did a retail incentive variant. There's the Honorable Jim Ruggs uh, Zap Comics <laughs> homage. Man. Not my most honorable artwork. <laughs> Very honorable. And then a uh, little spoiler variant cover for uh, the Eddie P contribution to the variant game. Uh, Jimmy, just a little bit of stuff to, to unpack from, from last week's conversation. We were really getting deep into, like, what, what is this agreement? Uh, Mr. Gaiman, uh, you keep talking about you want Mr. McFarlane to treat you how you know better than DC or as good as. Well, you have about 10 different agreements with DC Comics, so what do you mean by, by that really trying to jam up uh, Neil Gaiman into making a definitive claim right there? In, in, in front of everybody, in front of the cameras and the stenographer and all of that. And things got uh, got heated back and forth. <laughs> I, I do want people to know that in the description below this video are all the parts to these de uh, depositions, man. So you, you can read uh, the entire piece. And uh, Neil, you're coming to town. You're coming to Pittsburgh in May. We're the makers of comics here in town. Uh, you got you to gotta come see us. Got to put you under the hot lights. Got to talk comics for a while, man. We'll dig through the stacks and we'll talk some shit. Won't say any words about this stuff, man. We know how that stuff goes and we're not trying to trying to um, create any weird situation there. I find this stuff really interesting, but think about how fascinating his career is that this is, I don't know, 15th on his list of like interesting topic, 20th, you know what I mean? Like that, That's true. But I will also say another thing we will not be talking about is your Duran Duran book. We, <laughs> we, we don't care about that either. <laughs> See, man, he was like, you know what? I was going to go see those guys, but they had to bring out the Duran Duran comments, man. Fuck those dudes. <laughs> we have some more time to work on them. Yeah, we do, man. That 15% net that was discussed with his licensing fee, that's an interesting number, man, because those numbers, uh, at least on that boilerplate contract, which is also known as the dummy contract because you're a dummy to sign the first contract that comes your way, it ain't 15. It's not 15%. And uh, breaking kayfabe, we're recording both of these. We're recording these depositions on the same day, so the leaks 
that we put out for our friends to send us and let us know what that those kind of equity rights are these days. We didn't get those emails yet. So I'm super excited to learn more about that. That is a topic that is not discussed. Nobody discusses it with me. So I'm interested any information on that. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what people have to say, what they know about that topic. Do you do you have anything more to say that you want to debrief from, or should we uh, wrap up this new game in deposition? I am ready to wrap it up, but as always, shout-outs to Daniel Best for doing the legwork and putting these depositions out there where we can read them from his, his site and or from the uh, Todd McFarlane versus the World book that Daniel Best put together. So I'm ready to go. All right, here's how the game is played uh, for those coming in cold. I'm reading the words from everybody who is not Neil Gaiman. This mostly includes uh, Todd McFarlane's lawyer, who's doing the main round of questioning. But there's an interjection often from uh, Mr. Arnston, who is Neil Gaiman's lawyer. And then every now and again, Al Simmons comes out and has something to say. Uh, Jim is doing the voice, uh, speaking the role of uh, Neil Gaiman's answers and testimony from this deposition. And if that is all clear, I'm good to go if you are, Jimmy. Yeah, man. So there was a heated discussion <clears throat> at the end of the last deposition, and things were getting kludgy. These guys were getting tired, and questions were coming up that like other people didn't know how to answer. There, there's back and forth. There's uh, interruptions. And then Neil Gaiman's lawyer is like, can we just speak off the record for like 10 minutes? I do have one more point to bring Please. up from the last piece. At one point, they talk about this agreement in 1997. That's been the focus, like the last reading. And a lot of it is um, trying to figure out exactly what the terms are, what the understanding was. And it comes out that McFarlane insisted no lawyers were involved with that. Well, get a lawyer. Because look, the lawyers are involved now. Um, sooner or later, you're going to need lawyers. Uh, it's probably cheaper to do it in the beginning when you're putting the contract together. Yeah. And and just speaking as a person who has done deals without lawyers, when you eventually get a lawyer after you have a hit thing uh, and they see your previous contracts, they they make you feel like... Real dumb. Like It's like when you go to the dentist and you had a cookie two days before <laughs> and they're like, you had a cookie, didn't you? <laughs> You feel that stupid. You wow. feel that embarrassed, man. <clears throat> Anyhow, you ready to rock? Let's do it. All right, man. So McFarlane's lawyer comes in after this discussion that is off the record. Right before we broke and we had a conversation off the record, I talked with your counsel, and I think we have. He was helpful to me in trying to understand your difficulties with my questions and my difficulties with your answers, I suppose. Uh, so let's, let's see if we can clarify it this way. You understand that there are a category of rights based on the intellectual property, based on your uh, creation of these characters that you believe you retained in the creation of Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn as of uh, July of 1997, correct? But that I believe. I'm going to uh, call a little kayfabe conjecture now that we know that it was the two lawyers that were talking with one another, and I can't help but think they're like, listen, dude. These fucking comic book rubes, the stuff that they sign and the things that they think they know about, right? They don't know shit. They, they get fucked over every two seconds. So we have to be so clear with these guys because they think they have one thing. These guys think they have way more than they do. So we have to spell it out for them, man. I really think it's like these comic book guys are fucking dumb. Like I said, it's kayfabe conjecture. Back. All right. Uh, so Neil Gaiman's lawyer pops in prior to the agreement, uh, prior to July 15th. Good. Prior to that, prior to entering into the agreement, when I handed over 
all my rights. I believe that, yes, I had rights. Let's step back uh, because that's an important distinction. Exhibit 19 is a letter dated July 15th, 1997, correct? Yes. From you to Mr. McFarlane. Yep. And in this letter, you state that you are, if I understand correctly, essentially confirming an agreement that you reached on the phone earlier that day. Is that right? Absolutely. And among the things that you agreed to uh, were an exchange of collective rights. You were going to exchange exchange rights of Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn in exchange for Mr. McFarlane giving up rights to Miracle Man. Is that correct? Absolutely. And what I'm simply interested in trying to narrow down here is the rights that you believe you had in Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn that, in fact, you were giving to Mr. McFarlane in exchange for Miracle Man, okay? Okay. And we have talked uh, about one category of rights, and those were the category of rights that you obtained as a result of creating these characters. Uh, is that your testimony? Yes. And I'm talking uh, about up until the point you wrote the letter, your belief, uh, okay, so we are uh, talking from the time of creation up until July 15th, 1997. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. I see what you are getting at. My question is, I understand your belief uh, that you have a right to share in whatever Mr. McFarlane has received by the use of these characters since you created them, correct? Uh-huh. Yep. Your testimony was that you believed you had a 50-50 split in your rights between you and your co-creator, Mr. McFarlane, in these characters. Is that correct? In intellectual property rights. I don't believe I ever said that. I think you are misremembering. Okay, then let me ask you, do you believe you were you created these characters and you were not asked to sign anything away that you retained the ownership interest as a co-creator of these characters? Yes. And did you believe that the ownership interest was split 50-50 between you and Mr. McFarlane, who was the other co-creator of these characters? The specifics of ownership interest were never discussed. I would never have pushed for a 50-50 ownership of Medieval Spawn because I felt it was a derivative character. He is a derivative character. He is taking what Todd did and then saying, okay, there could be more to it. So on that, although yes, I did, you know, I, I was the creator of the character, I would not have felt that I was owed a 50% share in him. In the case of Cogliostro, absolutely. All right, so let's take Cogliostro then. Is it your testimony that you believe that as co-creator of Cogliostro with Mr. McFarlane, that you were entitled to a 50-50 share in the financial benefits that were received from the exploitation of the character? Yes. In addition to the rights you believe that you had in Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn, based on being the co-creator of those characters, whatever amounts those are, uh, I want to know... If at any time uh, you wrote this letter, did you believe you were also entitled to royalties? Sure. And I want to know on uh, what you base the, that assertion. Because if I was creating characters at another comics company, I would get royalties on them. But if you create, if you were creating characters at another comic book company, for example, DC Comics, you wouldn't have had creator rights. Yes, I would. They would make you sign those rights away, correct? Not at all. Sandman is not creator-owned because it was begun in 1987. In 1987, the world of comics was just edging very, very fitfully over into, very nervously, into the idea of creator ownership, and they were very uncomfortable with it. Miracle Man, which I did over at Eclipse, was creator-owned. I think everything I ever done for Dark Horse has been creator-owned. I have done Stardust for DC. These days, if I went in to do more or less anything for DC, including if we, at any time over the last decade, if we were starting Sandman now, it would be a creator-owned project. So I'm, and I'm giving you that in context because there was a very, the few years between 1985 and 1990, maybe 1991, were, there was an awful lot of change. 
And one of the reasons why DC Comics was very, very willing and happy to work with me on everything was because they still had the, you know, in 1998, I did my deal with them for a comic, which they knew that if I had come to them in 1990, the people who were coming into Vertigo, which is an imprint of DC, and into DC Comics in the 90s, it was all creator-owned, and yes, you would get your, you would keep your intellectual property share of something, and yes, you would get royalties too. Okay, and Gaiman's lawyer pops in. Let me just go off the record just a second, Pete, and uh, uh, McFarland's lawyer agrees. Another short recess is taken. Uh, we're thanks to Daniel Best, like taking a look at a couple uh, pages from these uh, DC contracts with all of that legalese. No eclipse. Oh, is that an eclipse? Yes, from 1989. So I think this is uh, defining Gaiman's stake in Miracle Man. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right, we're back to things. Uh, McFarland's lawyer, before we took a break, Mr. Gaiman, I know that you're probably getting frustrated with some of uh, my questions, and I was getting frustrated with, with, with some of my questions. So I apologize for contributing to the four, four o'clock afternoon frustration. Uh, but I think, I hope I can clarify... Uh, what it was I was trying to get at with a few simple questions, and we'll try to move on from there, okay? Great. We were referring to uh, what's previously marked as Exhibit 19. Uh-huh. And this was a letter that you sent July 15th, 1997. Uh-huh. And you were talking about the sentence, uh, the third paragraph down, in which you state that you are going to exchange with Mr. McFarlane your rights for Incogliostro in and Medieval Spawn, correct? Yep. And we did talk about creator rights or intellectual property rights that you had uh, by being the creator of those characters, correct? Yes. And I'm not talking about those now. Uh, we also uh, asked a question if you had any, uh, if you believe that at any time you wrote this letter that you had any contractual rights to those characters. Do you recall this question? Yeah. And I believe uh, you testified that, yes, uh, you you did by virtue of the agreement you entered into uh, 1992 with Mr. McFarlane. Is that correct? Yes. And that's all I really want to clarify. Is it the 1992 agreement with Mr. McFarlane, which he said that he will do better, treat you better than DC Comics? Is that the agreement that you are referring to that gave you contractual rights to Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn? Sure. See how easy that was? Amazingly easy, almost pleasant. <laughs> Mr. McFarland responded to the letter you sent July 15th with a letter of his own fax to you the same day, did he not? Yep. And in that letter, uh, we have marked Exhibit 20. Yep. And in that letter from Mr. McFarland, he states about halfway down, before consummating this marriage, I just need to... <laughs> uh, quote, before consummating this marriage... I just need a clar clarification on a few things. Do you see that? Yep. And then it's my understanding that he lists out three specific, really three specific questions that he is uncertain about. Is that right? Yep. The first one is an exchange date, correct? Yep. And the second is a question of whether the creator royalty was divided by two so that the artists share in the piece, correct? Yep. And it probably makes sense to refer now to Exhibit 33. Uh-huh. And am I accurate in saying that Exhibit 33 is your written response to Mr. McFarland's letter, uh, which we have marked as Exhibit 20? Yes. And in your letter, also uh, of uh, July 15th, 1997, which we have marked as Exhibit 33, you have three numeric sections uh, corresponding, one, two, and three, to the questions asked by Mr. McFarland in this letter, and we have uh, marked as Exhibit 20. Is that correct? Uh-huh. As to the first item, you agree that it's possible to exchange on July 31st, correct? Yep. 
And to the second question, you clarify that you are referring to the writer-creator royalty and that the artist would also get his own deal so that the amount that you have quoted is the full amount due to you. Is that correct? Yes. Then, uh, finally, the third question, and Mr. McFarlane does not number it, but I think we understand that this is the third question, and you understood it as such when you wrote number three next to your answer, correct? Yep. Mr. McFarlane's question in Exhibit 20, his third question is, and I will quote, quote, uh, also accounting on the medieval spawn will be done with the form you said DC Comics uses on derivative characters, not the standard agreement of a new hero. Is that acceptable? End quote. And your answer in Exhibit 33 is, quote, medieval spawn accounting, yes. I should have put that in. Uh, I formula him at 50% of Angela. End quote. Do you see that? Uh-huh. My question for you is about your answer uh, number three in Exhibit 33. On what formula you... How do you arrive at the figure of 50% of Angela for Medieval Spawn? It seemed right. When DC Comics does it, they do it as per the contract on a pro rata discretionary basis. There is no, they don't have a, you know, a specific formula. They make a judgment call. I thought, okay, yeah, he is right. Let's figure something out here. Half of Angela looks about right, so... Do you have a By the way, this is uh, uh, this is wrestling formula, right? The discretionary payout of what talent gets paid for a night of work in the old days, whenever right. you're getting paid by the uh, from the box office. Got to split up the gate. Yes. Do you have a particular DC contract, DC Comics contract that you can point to that or that you relied on that would tell you how to arrive at the fifty percent figure? Well, I had the negotiate. I had the negotiation that I had done originally with DC, which although we eventually wound up with them deciding to give me 100% royalty on Sandman and me just saying I'm not taking a share of Destiny, but at that point when I was negotiating with DC in Exhibit 47, which would be page 4 of Exhibit 47. Gaiman's lawyer pops in. Page 2 of his first contract. Page 2 of the first contract. They say retail products and services. For each product other than a work and for each service produced by publisher and distributed or rendered by publisher for sale to the public and not by a licensee of publisher through publishers wholesale and retail distribution channels a retail product of service which is based entirely upon the characters creative contributors shall be entitled to receive either one an amount equal to eight tenths of one percent point eight percent of the suggested retail selling price of such retail product or service multiplied by its net domestic sale or two if there shall not be a suggested retail selling price an amount equal to two and a half percent 2.5 percent of publishers gross receipts derived therefrom and that's the first one for the full ones and then it says notwithstanding the foregoing with respect to the characters of dream sandman and destiny only creative contributors shall be entitled to receive either one an amount equal to 592 thousandths of 1%, 0.592%, which is about three quarters of 0.8% of the suggested retail selling price of such retail product or service multiplied by its net domestic sales, or two, if there shall not be a, a suggested retail selling price, an amount equal to 185 hundredths of 1%, 1.85%, of publishers' gross receipts derived therefrom, which is about three quarters of 2.5%. And I thought, and I actually thought with this going for 50%, I was being very fair and equitable. It seemed the kind of, it certainly seemed perfectly fair. 
I mean, you know DC had given me at one point for basically simply including this old character Destiny of theirs, which is this bloke who wandered around with a book and a hood and spoke gnomically. And I just basically said, there are these seven people and here is one of them. And they offered me three quarters of what I would have got for one of the, for a character that I had created simply by virtue of him being, you know, basically me writing him. And I thought, well, a character that I created derived from something of Todd's 50% seems fair. If you go down to contingencies affecting royalties on page four, and I'm sticking with page 47 now, but I think you will find this is exactly the same if we go to page 58. And I can to exhibit 58 if you are more comfortable with it. No, that's fine. I think you're all right. Contingencies affecting royalties. You have spinoffs, commingling of elements, and in spinoffs we have in the event that publisher uses or licenses the use of a version of any of the characters that publisher determines consists primarily only of spinoff elements and is published under a substantially different title, the characters, if published under any title, or is not substantially as originally created and written or drawn by creative contributor. So if the character changes in some way, then the publisher shall pay creative contributor royalties based upon publisher's pro rata allocation of the amounts set forth in paragraph one among all elements used as created by the creative contributor and all spinoff elements. The foregoing allocation and all other allocations made by publisher pursuant to this agreement shall be made in good faith and in publisher's sole discretion. As used herein, elements shall include without limitation characters, stories, themes, titles, names, logos, devices. Spin-off elements shall mean elements either one, not created by creative contributor, or two, originally created by creative contributor and later substantially changed or developed by another party. Then you go into commingling of elements and so forth. Go ahead, rather than continue reading. No, I was going to stop at that point. How do you see that operating? I just saw that operating the context here, and I had spoken to somebody at DC Comics, to Terry Cunningham, as who bless her, seems to be the place that all of this seems to come together at some point and said, how does this work? Do you have an exact formula and whatever? And she said, no, no, it's discretionary. We do it by feel in the seat of our pants. And that was how I did it. This, We do it by feel in the seat of our pants. And that was how I did this one. I went fine. It's seat of my pants. Todd said, hey, is there something I probably should have put back in the reply? No, there is not an exact formula. But I thought putting in a formula of 50% of Angela, saying this is my thing, if he had come back, 40% sounds good, or if he had come back, I love you, make it 75%, that would have been fine too. Okay, and that's fine. You've answered my question very fully. I appreciate that. You finish then at Exhibit 33. You finish with the statement, quote, looking forward to getting done with this, end quote. Uh-huh. Now, earlier you testified that you understood these letters ended with Exhibit 33 to being the agreement itself. Am I incorrect in that? Yes, absolutely. According to this, I'm saying, yes, we will exchange July 31st and everything is done. The point of the letter on the 1st of August is July 31st, nothing turned up, which is why I send him a letter saying, if this isn't going to happen, let me know and we can renegotiate. And I get a message, no, 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 we still have a deal. And a couple of days later, everything arrives. Everything they promised from their part of the deal arrived. So let me ask you about that. Mr. McFarland, you said you get a message uh, a couple of days after August 1st uh, that, no, 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 we still have a deal. What was the nature of that message? It wasn't. It wasn't from Todd. 
Todd was on the road or somewhere like that, and it was from Sheila or whoever, I don't remember exactly, saying, Somebody from Todd's company. Todd says, everything is fine. We are rushing the stuff to you. We are finishing up some numbers. In fact, you did get some payments from... And Miracle Man film, yes. Sorry I interrupted you. No, that's okay. That's all right. Uh, you did get payments from McFarland's company, did you not, in August? Yes, I did. And you did get the Miracle Man film, is that correct? Yes. Did you receive, uh, as far as you know, all of the physical Miracle Man film items or property that Todd or his company had? I don't know. I don't know what they had. When you received the physical Miracle Man property, and I'm referring to film and whatever other items there may have been, did you believe that it was not complete? I knew that it wasn't. Well, okay, if you define not complete as not everything that Todd had, I didn't know what Todd had. It wasn't the complete set of Miracle Man film, but a phone call from Terry Fitzgerald, either when he sent it off or when I got it saying that some of the film had been illicitly sold under the counter by the former owner of Eclipse to some guy in Toronto who was trying to hold Todd up for it, and they didn't have that stuff. And were you not actually contacted by somebody in Canada prior to Todd's even buying the Eclipse assets who was saying he had some of the Miracle Man stuff and wanted to know if you would do a new issue with him? No, he never said that. I wish I remembered the guy's name. I assumed from actually reading a book called Komoda, which had some interviews and stuff, that probably this was the same guy, but I may be doing him a terrible injustice. There was one man who I mentioned before who said that he was bidding for Miracle Man in the Eclipse auction and wanted to know if Mark Buckingham and I would be willing to continue the series if he got the rights to the share of Miracle Man that Mark and I did not have. And I said, sure, you know we wanted to get on with it. You know, good luck in the auction, but he never sent me any of the film or anything like that. You are not aware and you are not claiming that Todd McFarlane Productions or Todd himself or anybody else who is a defendant in this lawsuit actually held back some of the physical Miracle Man property that they obtained from Eclipse, are you? Toward the end of 98, I heard there were rumblings in the UK that Des Skin, who was one of the prior owners of Miracle Man, and I really do understand we have to finish at five, so let me know how much Miracle Man history... My question is simply, uh, are you making any specific allegation that any of McFarlane uh, defendants withheld physical Miracle Man property? Physical Miracle Man property. Terry Fitzgerald phoned me up and wanted to know what I knew about something called Miracle Man Triumphant, which was some kind of series that Eclipse had been doing towards the end of Eclipse. I was never clear whether he had any of the artwork for it or not. And in the late in late 98, I sent a fax to Todd saying I hear some rumblings from the UK saying that Eclipse may not have owned anything after all. Please could you fax me whatever you actually have in the way of documents that you actually got from the bankruptcy court? Because I realized at that point that I hadn't received anything from the bankruptcy court. Mr. Simmons interjects. Why don't I jump in here for a second? We got that inventory I think I, I used with uh, Terry Fitzgerald. I haven't had Neil uh, review that. Mr. Salish, uh, no Gaiman's guy says, uh, that's fine. We've gone as far into that as we need to at this point. And that was why I think they had already warned me that they didn't have a complete inventory or a complete film for Miracle Man, which is why it says whatever you have. And when you say uh, whatever you have, you are referring to Exhibit 19? Yes. You will include whatever you have in the way of inventory uh, of or film uh, for Miracle Man received from Eclipse in the bankruptcy buyout, correct? Uh-huh. You've alleged in this lawsuit that... Hold on. Did you receive a copy of Spawn issue number nine? Yes. When was that? I would have received... I was first handed one at Oakland in 1993, I think April of 1993. Right about when it came out? 
Right. It was the day of the publication. Todd and I were signing them together. What about issue 26? Did you ever receive a copy of that? Probably. What about Angela miniseries? Yes, they would have sent me my author copies. Did you ever see the trade paperback uh, that were being published of the Spawn series? By the time they were publishing the trade paperbacks, nobody was sending me stuff automatically. Getting stuff out of Todd was getting harder. Do you know who published the trade paperbacks? And I don't know if you, if they were all published by the same company. Uh, were, were they all published by Image? Do, do you know? As far as I know, the Image Eye is on the ones... I saw the most recent one, Angela's Hunt, for the first time at a convention called Agicon in Texas several months ago, which was the first time I had seen that in the flesh, and that was definitely published by Image in 2000. Do you recall if you ever saw the trade paperback, the second trade paperback, uh, the, the one that contained issue number nine? I don't think they sent me a copy of that. Do you recall if you ever saw it anywhere? I've seen it certainly since this case started. I'm talking back prior to the case starting. I might have seen one because somebody would have at signings, people put stuff in front of you, but you don't actually stop and look at it, you sign it. Uh, you were doing throughout, let me, let me ask you this, was there any time period in 1993 through 1998 that you were not actively pursuing your career as a writer of either comics or novels? Yes. When was that? Most of 95 and 96. And what were you doing then? I was in the UK working on a TV series. Were you still writing? I was still writing. During that time? But my primary energies were putting together this BBC miniseries, so I was writing for that and pretty much out of the comics loop. When was the first time that you recall com complaining to Todd or anybody uh, with any of Mr. McFarland's companies about copyright notices, not mentioning you or any of the work that you did for Spawn? I'm trying to remember if there ever was a time when that actually came up specifically. You understand that you've got allegations in your complaint here that you were not credited with copyright in the actual issues that were published, uh, the spawn issues that uh, are at issue in this lawsuit. Is that correct? Yes. I remember talking with the UK with Titan Books at one point and stating that I wanted to make sure that I was on the book as an author under the English copyright tax with former rights as an author. And they said they had to go and check that with McFarlane and come back that Todd said it was absolutely fine as long as he was there too. Now let me ask you this. The works, we're not talking about the works that were created in the UK. We are talking about the works that were created in the United States, correct? Oh, uh, but they were. When uh, they were published in the US, uh, were they the same books, a publication of the identical product in the United Kingdom as opposed to something that had changed between the United States and the UK. My belief is, and unfortunately I don't, I never stopped to inspect. This is actually sort of figured out from Amazon.com and things, also from signing, that the original Angela trade paperback included the toy, some comic that they put in with the toy, which wasn't by me. It was by Bo Smith. The English one was completely by me and was a different book. I'm not talking about the trade paperback. I'm talking about the, well, let me ask you this. The Angela trade paperbacks and including Angela's Hunt uh, the most recent version of it, that's uh, simply a compilation of the Angela miniseries that you were that you originally did for Todd back in, was it 1994? Are you asking me if there is any additional material by me? Correct. I don't know. I never read Angela's Hunt. They never sent me a copy. Looking at it got too distasteful. As far as you are aware, it's simply a collection of the work that you did? I never read. I'm not trying to be. I, I never read this stuff through. For all I know, they could have rewritten words all the way through as far as I know. Okay, at what point in time, or let me step back, you've alleged that Mr. McFarlane and the Mr. McFarlane defendants breached the 1997 agreement, correct? Uh-huh. How'd they do that? 
Well, I was under the impression that everything was fine, even as late as March, April 1988. We got a healthy royalty payment through from foreign stuff from Mr. McFarland's wife. Actually, very nice. Came straight from Wanda, a check for about 4000 And I thought, great. I didn't think anything of it at that point. There was anything problematic. And then in the summer, I remember talking to the people from DC and from Marvel Comics and saying, great, I'm going to do these comics, do these one-shots. Are you interested? Do you want to do them? And I think I was looking at trying to decide between doing an Angela Justice League of America and an Angela X-Men at Marvel and probably doing a medieval spawn Batman because I had an idea for something that would work for that. And I mentioned it to these people and then I would ring them up later and say, what's happening? And they would say, Todd is just not calling us back. We wouldn't be put through to him, which I thought was a bit odd. And then toward the end of 1998, there had been no payments of any kind on anything coming in. And that was about the same time that I sent the fax to Mr. McFarlane saying, by the way, can I have a photocopy of whatever you got and didn't get anything from him and then went on tour. And I was on a signing tour for my book Stardust and I got to San Francisco. I think it was on the tour and got a message from my assistant that a FedEx had just come in from the mail drop. We have a Minneapolis address and a home address. And it had come in from there from Todd McFarlane. And I said, great. Well, when I get home, I will have to look at it. I was on this, you know, it was about a 30 city signing tour. So everything was waiting till it was done. And then I got home and I looked at this thing from Todd and it was completely bizarre. It was a letter saying, I resigned my previous offer. I'm going, what previous offer? We had a deal. We said we would exchange on the 31st. We did, you paid, that was our deal. And then it said, and now my new deal that I'm offering you is this. And my new deal is I keep, I take Angela back. I give you back Miracle Man. I said, you gave me Miracle Man. What are you saying here? I gave, you were taking back one thing in exchange for one thing that I held on to. Then he said, if we don't have an agreement that I'm taking medieval spawn royalties out of all future royalty, I'm going, but you already subtracted 20,000 that you paid me for the toy out of what you paid me for the last thing, you know. We were looking at, you know, $1,000 or whatever. I have to see the exact figures. Total of medieval spawn toy payment is $6,000. And so he is saying, I have to recoup that. And whether he's stuck with that or not, I don't know. He may be carefully counting down his recoup, but I doubt it. At that point, I, it was, you know, we were in February 1999. I'm off tour. I'm exhausted. Actually, I can tell you, I got off tour on Valentine's Day because the next day was my sister-in-law Anne's birthday. So I got back and I was wiped and I read through the stuff from Todd and I sent it off to my lawyer at that point. If I understand you correctly, up until you got the 1999 letter, as far as you knew, Todd and his companies, whoever was involved, had performed all the things they were supposed to be performing under the 1997 agreement. Is that correct? Yes. And all of a sudden in 1999, you receive a letter from Todd saying that uh, we're not going to perform anymore. Uh, and I know that's not the language he used, but... That is very specifically not the language he used. He said something completely different. Well, you said he would rescind, uh, he was rescinding the offer as he was making a new proposal, correct? Yes. And your understanding was that you had a deal in 1997. Absolutely. And that he had performed his obligation under that deal up until you got this letter in 1999. Uh, is that correct? Absolutely. So, uh, so was the breach of the 1997 agreement, Mr. McFarlane or his company's failure uh, to perform after from 1999 on from early 
from the date you got the letter on, you know, Gaiman's lawyer pops in, object to the extent that it calls for a legal conclusion. Also, he testified as to waiting for payments. So I think there is a confusion there too. McFarland's lawyer. Well, that's not what I'm trying to get figured out here. As of 1999, uh, early 1999, as far as you knew, had Mr. McFarland paid you all the money that was due up to that point? As far as I knew at that point, without having audited them or actually checked the figures, I was very relieved on the 4th or 5th of August, whenever the checks arrived. Checks arrived, we are done. And I thought, good, and I have never to worry about that or think about that again. Cash the checks, put the stuff from Todd into a file, and was relieved when the Miracle Man came in. So your understanding was that as of the end of August of 1997, roughly in the point after you'd gotten these checks, that you had gotten the last checks you were going to get from Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn, and you've gotten physical materials, whatever they were regarding Miracle Man, and that you were going to get some future projects with Angela and participate on a royalty basis for whatever happens with Angela in the future. Is that correct? And do the one-off with Medieval Spawn. One-off with Medieval Spawn, okay. And that you were able uh, to do the one-off with Medieval Spawn or Angela because you understood from DC Comics and Marvel that Mr. McFarland was not returning calls regarding these projects. Is that correct? Yes. What are you seeking? And again, I'm not asking for your legal conclusion, but I am asking you what you are seeking in this lawsuit if you are seeking to enforce the terms of the 1997 agreement as you understood it. I think that's a very good question. Perhaps uh, my first good question of all day. Uh, thanks. I didn't. It didn't take me that long. The bottom line for me is that I get handed comics, these trade paperbacks by kids to sign that I know that I'm not getting paid a royalty on nor has Mr. McFarlane ever intended to pay a royalty on. Are you referring to Angela? The Angela trade paperbacks, the one with Spawn 9 in it, whatever that's called. Furthermore... May I stop you right there? Yeah. And I just want to ask you, as part of the 1997 agreement, as evidenced by the letters uh, that you and the four letters that you and Mr. McFarlane, McFarlane exchanged on March 5th and July 7th, 15th in 1997, was there some discussion of... Do we have the, the one with the figures? Council hands witness document. So in the first paragraph, uh, real, second really paragraph of Exhibit 19, uh, it says you agree, and you are referring to Todd, uh, you agree, quote unquote, you agree that with regard to the character of Angela, her appearances, spinoffs, merchandising, and foreign translations of Spawn Number 9 or Angela miniseries that you We'll be using the figures we put together based on the DC deal, end quote. Uh-huh. So is it your understanding that regarding Angela and or Spawn 9, that it's the DC deal and the figures is evidenced by the May 5th letter, and then as clarified by the July 15th exchange of letters, is that correct? Sure, the May 5th letter. Right, May 5th letter, and uh, that since January or February 1999, you've not received any royalty payments. Since March of 1998. Okay, since March of 1998, and you have not received any royalty payments. Actually, since, apart from for foreign royalties, since uh, in March of 1998. 98, says uh, Neil Gaiman's lawyer. Sorry, 98. Since August of 97, I have never received nothing from Mr. McFarlane of anything he has in print except in the spring of 1998. 1998? What did I say? I think you said 88. Of 1998, the foreign royalty payments. So that's five years since he has paid royalties on a book that he has in print. 
So you're still seeking to recover at this point today an accounting of the royalties due for Angela, Angela's appearances and merchandise, as well as the Spawn 9. Is that correct? That's certainly part of it. Okay. I mean, one of the things that I would like is a full and independent audit and accounting. I may sound unduly cynical, but I have to say at this point, I no longer trust Mr. McFarland's accounting skills. And in fact, having looked over a week ago, having looked over the figures that I actually got, I realized that they actually have a better relation than to what we had agreed. And he has sort of cheerfully gone in and halved things, which I didn't look at the time. I just said, great, he's finally done it and cashed the check. So I think that making sure that all monies that were due previous to the 4th of August 1997 from a Cogliostro, Medieval Spawn, and Angela are all there and that all monies due in after the 4th of August 1997 from Angela derived things are all there. And the other side of the coin is I'm no longer certain one would have to get expert witnesses in to testify but in 1997 going on to 1998 maybe even to 1999 the idea of me doing a medieval spawn batman story for example would have had some value that medieval spawn would have brought to the table the idea of angela and the x-men would have had some value that angela would have brought to the table we are now it's now 2002 and frankly spawn doesn't sell very well anymore the comic is not very well selling comic the characters are not very popular characters Medieval Spawn is long since forgotten, and the kids who had bought the toys are now throwing up in colleges. <laughs> and you know, even Angela, he killed her off as a character in Spawn 100, and although I'm still very fond of her, I look at it and go, how much? What would be incredibly attractive to any publisher is me doing a book, but me doing a book with Medieval Spawn brings no value to the table. So it might actually be necessary to go, well, okay, what would that have generated if I had done it at that time and figured it out from there? Because whatever it would generate now, those things don't bring anything to it if you see what I mean. And you know, beyond that, I think Todd and I would very much like to get shot of each other. English expression meaning to have no more to do. I think I followed it. At this point, if we could work out a solution that did involve, you know, a complete parting of the ways, I think I would be up for working one of those out. But that isn't in regard to the 1997 agreement. That's in regard to having done this lawsuit. Gaiman's lawyer pops in. There may be something with Miracle Man too. I'm not trying to mess things up, but I thought... We didn't even mention Miracle Man. Uh, Gaiman's lawyer. Uh, I don't know if you want to go into that or not. And then McFarland's lawyer. lawyer uh, why don't we take about two or three minutes? It's, it's 20 to 5. And I will take a quick look and see if there's anything I actually have to cover before we finish today. And that will wind things up. Short recess is taken. All right, we're back. Uh, Mr. Gaiman, we're almost done here. I appreciate your time. I have just a couple of follow-up questions for you. And I just want to tell you, I do apologize for some of the struggles we've had uh, this afternoon in getting uh, our record together. As I stated at the outset, uh, there were going to be some times when I didn't understand how your industry worked. And I appreciate your patience and helping me to get to the bottom of things. Again, just a uh, very few follow-ups. Uh, you mentioned requesting information from Titan Books in the UK regarding the copyright notice uh, or the author's notice uh, on the trade paperbacks being published in the UK. Do you recall that testimony? Yes. Can you tell me specifically uh, what it was you asked Titan Books for? I asked Titan Books. I should add, I never actually saw what they did until a couple of years ago when I got them to fax it to me because I had never been sent a finished copy of the book in question. What book was that, if I can interrupt? The Titan Angela edition. 
Titan had been in touch with me about doing an edition of Angela because they were buying the rights and they wanted to know if I would write a new introduction to it. And I said, not only did I not want to write an introduction to it, but I felt very uncomfortable about the whole thing, knowing that because they are my publisher on other stuff and knowing that they were buying a book that I was getting no royalties on. What time period are we talking about here? We have the exchange of letters. After you get, was it after the early 1999 letter from McFarlane? Oh, no, before that. We are in late 96, early 97, I think at this point. We are prior to, in fact, I think some of this stuff, my memory of things is that May 97-ish, July 97-ish is one of the things that closed it because Todd, I spoke to Titan and said, you know, I really don't want you publishing this until you are assured that I will be getting some royalties from it. And they wrote a letter to Todd and got a reply from him saying that he had a deal with me and would definitely be paying me royalties. So they were incredibly relieved on that. And I asked for them to make sure that I had the standard copyright notice that you get in the UK. What is the standard? Are you familiar with that? No. Tell me uh, what you know about the standard copyright notice in the UK. There's a clause in the UK copyright where you get identified as the author, the Copyrights and Patents Act, which gives you, you know, your... It's partly the moral right and partly you are the author from a copyright purpose. So they put in whatever the standard. And I just said, look, can I have the standard wording, please? And you were familiar with the fact uh, that there were such a th thing as standard uh, wording? How? Because I'm an author in the UK and every book I get of mine would have a standard wording in the front that would say the right of, you know, Gaiman to be identified as the author of this book has been asserted under the Copyright and Patents Act and so forth. I got books before with it in. And I thought, well, I am the author. Can I have this, please, to Titan? I said, I really feel like I ought to at this point. And they said, and they put it in, and they said, and I said, I never signed away any of my rights away from this. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm certainly the co-copyright holder on there. And I don't know. I don't even know if they checked it with Todd or if they put it in and then Todd complained or something. But it wound up being changed to the rights of Neil Gaiman and Todd McFarlane. They phoned me back and said, is this okay? And I said, yes, it's absolutely fine. So although Todd hasn't actually, wasn't actually the artist in the book, that was Greg Capullo. You say that you were familiar with the fact that there was standard language in the UK, copyright language in the UK, because you are, are an author in the UK. Is that correct? I mean, it was your experience that as being an author in the UK gave you the knowledge that there was such a thing as standard copyright language that should be put in books in the UK. Is that correct? I had seen it in books before. And you are an author. Uh, were you not an author in the United States at the same time? Yes, but that language is not language that appears in the front of American books. What do you know about the language that appears in the front of American books? Very little, but I know that on some of my stuff, I will actually claim, you know, put specific copyright notices. I'm just sort of starting to educate myself now, very much now that this court case has come up. But you've been publishing books. Uh, when was the first time you published a book in the United States that you held a copyright to? Do you know? You're going to have to define the word publish in this case. When is the first time one of your works was published in the United States? And when I say your works, I mean a work that you retain the copyright ownership to. I was trying to work out stuff from the UK that was being imported into the US. Either way. First, stuff that would have been imported would have been my book, Violent Cases. When was that? 1987. Do you recall when the first book was not imported from the UK, but that w that it was published here in the United States as a new work that you retained the copyright interest in? Probably a book I did called Don't Panic. When was that? 
I think it was published in 88. 1988? 1988. Not 1888. Definitely not. I would remember. You mentioned doing some signings and you had uh, some book signings with Todd, correct? No. Did you ever do... You never did a book signing with Todd? We signed comics. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. My fault. Comic book signings. We did, as I remember, one. There was one signing at Oakland at a convention called WonderCon, which was held the weekend of 1993, the same weekend that Spawn came out. And I think you were mentioned. I think you mentioned that one. And I did a mass signing. They had all of the guys from Image. All of the Image people were there, and they got me to be one of them for that signing. Do you recall doing other signings with or without Todd McFarlane as to the after you had published the Angelo miniseries, for example, uh, Gaiman's Lawyer? signings of and then McFarland's lawyer says signings of Angela comics no didn't do any of those I mean people would turn up at signings there was you have no idea what people would turn up with at signings whether it's Angela comics rubber toys body parts you know you're going to be signing them but I never did a specific signing tour for the Angela stuff kayfabe conjecture there's a strip that uh Scott McCloud uh put on the web uh back back in the day and it was a phone conversation with uh, Neil Gaiman. And Gaiman is complaining about... Well, he's not complaining. He's like, yeah, you know, I had to sign some more some more women's breasts at this last signing. And it's always weird because they always think that they're the only one to have me do that. And uh, I always act like, I'm, like it's my first time or something. And then pregnant pause, Scott McCloud goes, I made a website or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right, man, back to the game. Uh, do you recall if you received, I think you said you'd got an author's copy of Spawn 9. Is that correct? Yes. Do you recall if you got an author's copy of Spawn 26? Don't know. Do you recall one way or the other? I don't recall one way or the other. Do you recall if you got an author's copy of the Angela miniseries? Yes, I would have got them. What about the first Angela trade paperback? Haven't I testified? Did we do this already? I'm not sure if I did. Uh, bear with me. I don't know on the Angela trade paperback. Definitely didn't see. I definitely haven't seen Angela's Hunt. And there was definitely another version of the Angela trade paperback, I think, because I have signed. I mean, the trouble with... Was it called Pathways to Judgment? Does that ring a bell? Don't know. I have signed stuff. People put stuff in front of me at signings, and it's been stuff that I have written. It's been the Angela stuff, and I've never seen it before, and it was never sent to me. There is, you know... So I can't say. And for some reason, most of this, until we got to this case, I managed somehow to resist the urge to go out and buy my own work in order to have copies of it on my shelves. Will you agree that it's possible that some of these uh, book signings, you may have had uh, signed a copy of the Angela miniseries? Oh, absolutely. Would it be possible that you signed a copy of the first Angela Tree paperback? It's certainly possible that I would have signed copies because people put them in front of you. You don't stop to look at the book. You just, you know... I don't know if you ever have done... Well, if it was Mike, he would have done that. You have 500 people. You grab the book, you open it, you sign it. It's very often my impulse with the Angela stuff, and I may even have done it a couple of occasions where I've actually declined to sign it. People put some of the trade paperbacks in front of me, and I would say I don't get royalties on this. Back in 1994-95, at that point in time, do you recall doing signings uh, which you were handed copies of Spawn 9? Yeah. Do you re recall back? Todd and I both sign on the cover. We try to get in the same place because there's one nice white space. Do you recall back in 1994-95 time frame uh, signing any trade paperbacks? Say that trade paperback number two, which contained uh, issue nine in it. 
I must have signed that at some point, but I, you know, I go on a book signing tour. The Stardust tour was 30 cities, one probably an average of one signing a day, but several signings were two a day. You've got somewhere between 400 and 800 people that are assigning, and you put out a rule limiting everybody to three items apiece. Gaiman's lawyer. Uh, since it's after five, uh, let's go with I don't recall. Okay, I'm sorry. Give me 30 seconds here. Sorry. No, I, uh, believe me, you're fine. One last question uh, or a little issue on the 1997 agreement. And again, I know you heard Todd's deposition in which he explained that at different times he wears different hats, so to speak, because he has different rules in different companies. Who's, in your opinion, who, in your understanding, was the party with whom you made the 1997 agreement? It was definitely one of Todd's. <laughs> if you read... It was definitely one of the Todds. <laughs> uh, do you have an understanding one way or the other? No, there was... How Todd was functioning? Todd never said to me at any point, hey, this is Todd McFarlane, president of Image Comics, talking to you. You know, or this is Todd McFarlane representing TMP. It was just, this is, you know, it's Toddy. I thought about it, okay. <laughs> whoever it is, uh, you're understanding that whoever, whichever, Todd, you were negotiating with in 1997 was the same Todd you made the agreement with in 1992. As far as I know, you know, I don't even remember if that fax that came in was from him was on letterhead or whatever. I just, what was the July 15th? Yeah. The July 15th fax exhibit 20. It's from Todd McFarlane productions and spawn.com signed toddy. I think that's all five Oh five PM. Wow. Yeah, man, what a day. These lawyers, man, they stretch out their pay for that day. <laughs> they are charging by the hour. They are. <laughs> Interesting to learn about like the Miracle Man film stuff. You know what it is? Here's where I remember film a film story. Yeah. Pittsburgh's own Don Simpson. Okay. At some point, Kitchen Sink, I think when they went out of business or bankrupt or sold or something, I can't remember what it was, but at some point... Uh, they kept the film from Megaton Man. Mm -hmm. I think this was in the... It must have been a comics journal or something. But it was a real... It was a problem um, because then if Don Simpson wanted to print the book, he would have to generate another set of film for, I can't remember, a dozen books or something. You know, it was a substantial amount. And uh, it's interesting to me to think, like, we talk about records and archives and things that all these companies hold. And if you're a Marvel Comics publisher, for example, think of the amount of just if you had one copy of every book you published... Now imagine if you had four pieces of film for every page that you published, it becomes like, where are you warehousing this volume of stuff? Um, and I guess that's how it was done, you know, in terms of like you would save the film because one, it was expensive to make and two, if you were reprinting, this is the same. Why make another set of film? Um, it's just not done that way now, obviously, but it's amazing that like physically the films had value. Right. The other thing that I would talk about with film is whenever I talk to um, Shawn Michael Robinson, who's been doing the restoration on Dave Sims' Cerebus project, he has to restore from film sometimes. You know, like that's what you have for certain issues. You don't have the original art or, you know, the film, I guess, is considered better than, say, a printed version of the comic book. Oh, imagine the marais from, from uh, doing a Xerox of a Xerox of those... Uh, Dots. So whenever I talk to Sean Michael Robinson, and this is available on our website, we go through some of that where he actually opens a piece of the film and then shows how you can adjust with that and how, in some cases, how much information you get with the piece of film compared to, say, a scan of a printed piece of newsprint comic book. Right. So 
it is interesting. It still crosses paths. When I first started doing uh, uh, design work in the early 2000s, there were magazines that we would do advertising with that I would generate film from a company on the north side, go pick it up, and then package it up and literally physically ship the film to the magazine. And this would have been like 2002 or something um, before every, everybody had gone digital and caught up with that. So not that long ago. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a wonder people don't sell film as like original art, you know, like a step down from original art. And I guess I see printer proofs on eBay sometimes. Plates um, and stuff? Yeah, so... I don't know. It's a weird one. Right. There was always that story after 9-11 that Cracks uh, film archive got contaminated. They were in a building that was sent... Um, anthrax. Uh, anthrax, which I think that turns out not to be a true story, I think. But that was always a story that they had to throw away all of their film archive, which was valuable and, and kind of hurt Cracks' business as a result. Right, yeah. So we just wrapped up the Neil Gaiman deposition, but this is not the last episode of the Cartoonist Kayfabe courtroom yes we enjoy this there's there's todd mcfarland depositions larry murder depositions about this specific case but what if we switch it up next week and uh we handle some depositions from outside of uh of this particular case talk about a different uh historic legal entanglement in uh the the history of comic books and i still want to tell the kayfabers out there if you got your hands on some depositions or you know where to get them or you could point us in a direction for magazines and stuff that, that, that print this material. Let us know, man, because this is a incredible education in really the administration of putting your personal, you know, comic book making business together, getting the ducks in a row to, to, to prevent this kind of shit. Because for all of the spice that was in these conversations, I would have handled things much worse. You know what I mean? In terms of just annoyance levels and that sort of bratty behavior. It does make me wonder with some of the comments from the lawyer, uh, is this is this war on? Neil may have been handling it with a little spice. I think <laughs> so, man. I might have needed a little more attitude in some of my readings of these lines. <laughs> when the lawyer is like, oh, it's my first good question of the day. <laughs> yes. There's a little inve invective in there. Yeah, I, I imagine there's some sarcasm that I, that I didn't put in properly. Um, still, uh, just, I'm so happy these documents are available. Mr. Salish, let me, let me hear it. Neil Gaiman say, hey, this is Toddy, the Toddmeister. I have some love checks for you. <laughs> what if we get out of here? Hey, favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy, what's out there? Join me on Patreon.com slash JimRug, where you can download a dozen of my out-of-print, hard-to-find zines and mini-comics. You can also see a lot of my original art scripts, layouts, the process of how I make the comics I make at Patreon.com slash JimRug. Red Room, the anti-social network book collection is in stores now, going quickly, man. It's going to take a while for those reprints to happen. So if you see the book, scoop it up in Trigger Warnings, issue number one. It's going to come out in February, man. We've got a six-week lead time because of those paper shortages at the at the print facilities. I want that thing to sell out on day one. Jim and I both have link trees in our description below this video where you can order, pre-order our comics, hit up our Patreons. What else do we have? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. All right, man. Give them those merchandise. We're going to be on our way. Read more comics. Court is out of session. Till next week. <laughs>